Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad is off today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over a 100 years. Go to the website. Again, it's mslandbank.com. And find a branch location near you, scattered across north Mississippi, or uh, grab the phone number and give them a call. Happy Monday, everybody. Glad to have you along. Borky. Are you continuing to recover from your ankle injury from last Wednesday? I think so. Um, hobbled around a little bit at the Sanderson yesterday. Ended up being a really bad mistake, and uh, I'm paying for it this morning. But um, I'm That's okay. awfully stubborn of you. I just I really wanted to go see golf, man. The PGA Tour in our backyard. I had to go at least try to watch it. Okay. Fair enough. Um... So you think you aggravated it and made it worse? Yeah, it was it was sore or something this morning. You know, shocker, right? If I walk, did you around take your an, cane with you yesterday? I did not. I uh, I used my eight months pregnant wife as as a as a helper, and we had uh, passes to where we could sit down a, a couple of times. I tried to follow Zach Johnson for a hole and saw him tee off on one, saw his approach, and by the time we were getting close to the green, I looked at Katie. I said, we, "We've got to go back. I can't. I can't walk anymore." <laughs> this, uh, but I tried. There you go. Well, you know, effort, that's good. Trying to play through the pain. Hope it didn't uh, set you back too far in the recovery process. Uh, Rippy, what's up? You watched golf yesterday. You were convinced that Sung Jay was going to do it. I did. I was watching from the 18th for a lot of the day, and then once he got, he made the turn, basically, I followed the rest of the way, give or take a hole. But, yeah, I was convinced he had it. I think I may have jinxed him. Yeah, you were pretty confident in a couple of text messages that you sent me. We had, we had this strange dynamic going of you following him along, but not knowing exactly what was happening behind him because it takes a little while. So I was texting you updates from what was happening behind him. If you 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 were convinced, Sebastian Munoz, no way was he going to birdie eighteen. Yeah, I think I worded it as no shot he birdies eighteen. Sunjay has this in the bag, so sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't stop and give Sung Jay a high five on the way out and say, "Hey, remember when we played together?" I did not. I yelled at him, not in like a menacing way. I just said, "Sup, Sung Jay?" Did he acknowledge you? He nodded. Didn't know who I was, but not. He, he didn't do the uh, the double take. Oh, who's that? No, guy? it's uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it uh, it has been a while. We're still friends though. 
Uh, so he finishes in second, gets a nice check. Sebastian Munoz gets his first win. Looked like a really good crowd, and I thought the television presentation was really, really good yesterday for the final round of the Sanderson Farms Championship. I know you didn't. Borky, did you make it home to watch the end? Uh, yeah, had that on in conjunction with the Saints, though, so I was I was more focused on the other TV. But yeah, I had it on. I was convinced that since you were live tweeting the Saints, that you had just decided that. Uh, Discretion was the better part of valor, and you were going to give up on the golf, but uh, guess not. I still had it, but th- that's the thing with two TVs. As great as it sounds in theory, you end up just watching one more than the other anyway. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you want to be part of the show this afternoon, you can do so on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. About an hour from now, we will get to uh, your winners and losers from the weekend. What did you see that you like? What did you see that you didn't like? What did you see that made you go, ugh? We'll get to uh, those coming up a little bit later as well. Jeff leads things off on the C Spire text line with the Pac 12 officials suck. This is from a Southern Mississippi fan. I don't think, Jeff, that you would get just a whole heck of a lot of argument from uh, uh, the Ole Miss fans that are out there, and probably most of the Pac-12 fans would agree with you as well. Uh, John and Starkville Borky suggest that you get the ice bucket treatment and you continue to ice your ankle. Yeah, I'm going to. I, I mean, it is like I, I walked uh, today into the office and out. I'm, I'm fine. It's not a big deal, but uh, didn't do myself any favors. Uh, Pat uh, goes with the Amen Jeff on the ceasefire text line as well. So we've got a lot to uh, unpack, a lot to get to this afternoon. Mississippi State gets a bounce-back win with a victory over the Kentucky Wildcats. A couple of backup quarterbacks getting the start in that game. Garrett Schrader went the distance. Uh, played pretty well for Mississippi State and earns SEC Freshman of the Week honors. I do have to ask this question. What is up with the horrendous neck beard for Garrett Schrader? Man, people love that thing. I don't think it fits his face. What people? Mississippi State people. I mean, I, I guess they're people that thought Andrew Luck's beard looked good also. If you can grow a beard, I can't hate on anyone that grows a beard that's that noticeable. Yeah, I, I got no problem with growing the beard. It's kind of the way that he's gone about it. They did show a picture. I was watching the replay of the game. I missed it in its entirety on Saturday. I watched most of the game last night, though, when uh, SEC Network replayed it, and they showed the uh, like a, a high school picture of him. My man Garrett Schrader had a full neck beard in high school, which is fairly impressive. There was always that guy who had the ability to uh, grow the full beard, you know, in like tenth or eleventh grade. You were not that guy, were you, Rippy? Working on the same one since '95, man. Still hadn't shaved it. <laughs> there you go. Keep on plugging. Um, Ole Miss loses to Cal 28-20 was the final, a little bit of controversy at the end of the ball game, not a very big crowd for, uh, for the game on Saturday, uh, between Ole Miss and the uh, Cal Bears. Cal had a good crowd there. What do you think? Uh, Never mind. (laughs) Sorry. I was going to ask you to estimate. Uh, I'm going to say somewhere between 3,500 and 5,000 Cal fans at the, uh, at the game. I thought you were about to say for the stadium, and I was like, you're calling me bad at this stuff. What? You thought there were only between 3,500 and... 
No, I didn't. I thought that was the guess you were going with for the stadium, and I was like... It was really bad at kickoff, and then it got a little bit better, and then it was really bad late at the uh, end of the ball game. Look, I I am... I just kind of made the decision not too terribly long ago, maybe in the last couple of years, just not going to get down on people about attendance. Um, It's your money. It's your team. You can uh, you can do whatever you want to do with it, but pretending like it is not an issue or not a story is also not okay. Um, you you can't look up and see the number of empty seats that Ole Miss has had in the last two home games and not know that there is an issue. Mississippi State had a better crowd on Saturday. It still had there were still a bunch of empty seats at that ball game. Both upper decks were about I don't know a third to a half full. Uh, there were pockets of empty seats in the lower levels of the stadium, but it was a conference game, and you know stadium seats what sixty sixty one thousand. They're probably I'm just basing this on television. You may feel differently if you were there. What fifty thousand actual people there? The the thing for me that is is so that that's such a stark contrast is we're only a couple of three years removed from when Ole Miss stepped onto the field, even in non-conference games that were bad games and maybe it was hot, they had really good crowds, consistently really good crowds, and the exact same thing in Starkville when Mississippi State was playing. The stadium was, for the most part, full. That has changed for both programs and to one more. I mean, Mississippi State had a bad crowd last week against Kansas State. I know it was hot, blah, 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 blah. But the the attendance thing is a conversation that is a real one and a relevant one in the state of Mississippi right now. And if we're being completely honest with regards to Ole Miss, states is probably more due toward this the general decline you're seeing across the country from people going to games and the prices and the weather and global warming, whatever else you want to attribute to the problem that we seem to keep throwing in there about people not going to games. Partially kidding there, but in-home experience being better is kind of my point. A yeah. little bit more to it with Ole Miss. A lot more factors at play, I would say, whether it's the product, the university leadership, the stadium layout. All kinds of stuff going on. General there. apathy. Yeah. Yeah. No, all, all of those are contributing factors. Southern Miss went to Tuscaloosa and got pounded. 49-7 to was the final in the uh, in the ballgame. Alabama's going to do that to a lot of people this year. Georgia, Notre Dame, fantastic setting on Saturday night. Just outstanding. Auburn gets a win on the road. They were impressive. Bo Nix did not put up big numbers, but he didn't do anything to keep his team from winning. We'll look around the SEC, around college football. Saints get a win yesterday in Seattle, winners and losers. And a sad story from the weekend as well. We pass along our most uh, most sincere condolences to the family and friends of Jevin Sneed, who uh, apparently took his own life over the weekend at just 32 years old. Outstanding quarterback in two seasons at Ole Miss, led the Rebels to a couple of Cotton Bowl wins and an incredibly memorable performance in Baton Rouge.
start unpacking things from the weekend. And I think today we'll start with, um, with the Ole Miss game because of the drama at the end. 28-20 was the final. Uh, Chase Garber is the starting quarterback for California who had not really done anything that was all that impressive to this point of the year was extremely impressive on Saturday. 23 of 35, 357 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception. And while he threw it, and I guess that technically makes the interception his fault, there was a uh, a freshman, uh, Finley, who made a really, really good play on that ball. DeAndre Prince. Prince, not Finley. I just decided that I was going to make up a... a, Is there a Finley on defense? Yeah, A.J. Finley, who's played some as well. It's just Prince on the interception. Yeah, it was DeAndre uh, Prince. And I actually... You may have had a different angle on it from where you were watching. It looked to me like he baited Garbers into that throw. Yeah, he made a great play there. I mean, that wasn't the greatest throw by Garbers, but to your point, it was more so a good play by Prince, and Ole Miss got three points out of it. I will, um, Borky, can, can we press pause on unpacking the game and uh, do a quick idiot of the day from Saturday? Yeah, bring it on. The idiot of the day... Volume 1. I, I think there's a good candidate for Volume 2 as well. Uh, me. So, I will testify to the fact that Garbers has got a good arm. A lot of velo on his, uh, on his fastball. First drive of the second half, I'm standing on the Ole Miss sideline, right outside the, kind of the, what, the field box, the team box. So, around the 25 or 30. And he's flushed out of the pocket and throws it away. Got a microphone in my left hand. And I very nonchalantly, like, I'm going to make a cool guy one-handed grab. It was kind of instinct. It's not like I thought about it. Ball's coming my way. I see it. It's like he's looking at me almost when he throws it. And it's off to my right, about head height or maybe a little higher. And I instinctively, right arm goes completely out. And and the vision I have in my mind as that ball is coming is I'm going to pull this thing out of the air with one hand and I'm just going to flip it to somebody. Completely nonchalant. Ball was just beyond the reach of my hand, which probably is good because, again, it was thrown hard. It tips my middle finger just off the like the fingertip of my middle finger, which is just a little bit longer than my ring finger and my forefinger or my pointer finger like most everybody's. And, Borky, I immediately had thoughts of you. I thought, I just had a dumb injury. I didn't really react that much other than pull my hand down. I thought, gosh, that hurt. He got me. And then I I, I looked a little more, and I kind of felt it, and that last little bone, I don't even know what it's called. It was like it was kind of wiggling in place. And I thought, I just broke my finger. So I'm walking along and, you know, whatever. I mean, what are you going to do about a broken finger anyway? And I actually, I'm, I'm walking down toward the south end zone and I kind of bump into the, uh, the padding along the wall. And at that point, the tip of my middle finger bends backwards about 45 degrees. So think about where you get that last little notch on the inside of your hand. Uh, it, it, instead of my finger bending toward the palm of my hand, the, the tip of my middle finger bends about 45 degrees back. And I said, Oh, I kind of look at it and I go, it's not supposed to go like that. And I reach and I grab it and I kind of pop it back into place. And there was like an audible pop 
when that happened. Uh, it has it has stayed in place ever since. Uh, it's some some pretty good bruising and some swelling and whatever, but I think I'm going to survive. Idiot, idiot of the day. That was me for uh, for that move. Anyway, I just thought I would tell that story to make fun of myself. Um, Did you play a receiver at Oxford? No, no. I was on the throwing end, not the catching end. Which is probably better because clearly not a great receiver. Yeah, I knew before I asked the question. Oh, thanks. Uh, Matt Corral, 22 of 41, 266 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He did run for a, uh, a team high 56 yards in the ball game. Got hurt rib injury, came out of the game, really looked like he was hurting on the sideline when he was throwing, goes back in, takes another shot, and comes out. John Rice Plumley comes into the game and at that point engineers a two play drive. Now they were already they were I think they were like eight plays into the drive. Two plays, he carries it how far on the first carry? Thirty and forty seven yards. Sorry, I got it right I was in front. Let's say thirty seven. Forty seven. Yeah, forty seven yard run, speed on display, tackled at the fifteen. And then Jerry Ely gets the handoff on the next play on a read option, takes it into the end zone, touchdown. His only touch of the second half. Hmm. And after the extra point, it's all of a sudden 28-20. I don't think you can start there. You've got to back up to what about the nine-minute mark where Ole Miss has it fourth and goal from the 12, I think it was, and they attempt a 29-yard field goal that was wide right. And it's pretty significantly wide right. Second miss of the day for Luke Logan. He had missed a 47-yarder earlier in the game that was also wide right. Uh, had the distance, I think, to get over the crossbar. Uh, he's 6 of 10 on the year kicking field goals, I think. So field goal kicking is an issue for Ole Miss. Well, he shouldn't have been out there to begin with in that moment, though. Okay, there are a lot of people that are saying that. Because it's true. Tell me why you believe that. Because if you make the field goal, you still have to get the ball back twice and score twice. Instead, if you go for it on fourth down and score, you only have to get the football back once and score once. Mathematically, in that moment, being down 15 or 12 doesn't make a difference when possessions are limited and it's still a two-score game regardless if the ball goes between the uprights or not. On top of that, without it making mathematical sense, your kicker's been struggling, and the points aren't guaranteed, even from 29 yards. I tend to agree with Borky's line of thinking in terms of I didn't think the decision, but one, Matt Luke, the reason he... Decided to kick it, as far as his explanation was the same line of thinking, Borky, is you still have to get the ball back twice. He thought he was going to get it back twice. So it's either getting it back with three points and not having to mess with a perceived or potential two-point player, not having it. I would say, to me, the only and, argument there is if you make the field goal, that final play, at the, the, the third down, fourth down play, a touchdown wins it as opposed to giving you the opportunity for a two-point play so you can potentially have the opportunity to get to overtime so you can potentially have a chance to win the game. Yeah, and it took an improbable deep ball and seven unexpected completions in a row, and 
if your starting quarterback doesn't get injured, you're probably not in that situation anyway because he's not running the way Plumlee did in that moment. Just a whole lot of what-ifs there instead of taking the most logical step, which is going for it there to reduce it what, to just one and goal from the 12 a high percentage play, though? Well, the field goal obviously wasn't a high percentage play either. Well, no, it's I, a high percentage play. It just but, it, you just missed it. But there's two ways of thinking about this. Like you're either way. I, I'm not sure that way, I agree go, or disagree. If you go for, for the it, record. if you go for it and don't get it, you still need the ball back twice anyway. So it's getting the ball back with three points or getting the ball back without three points. But to Borky's point, the field goal kicker's not great. You're kind of known for not taking any risks. He probably try to go for your offensive moving the ball. Well, how many more times are you going to be down there? But then conversely, on the side of that too, when you had a horrible snap that back you up to the fourteen, there's not a whole lot of play calls for fourth and goal from the twelve. Or yeah, whatever and that that makes it so, dicey, and that makes you question it some. But I just it, with nine minutes to go in a game, and your defense is kind of getting gashed a little bit, and I mean, there's only so many possessions you have left, so it's a two possession game regardless if you make it. But if you do make it. It is now a one-possession game with nine minutes to go significantly more manageable than a two-possession game with nine minutes to go, which it would have been regardless. No, I agree he, with that. He probably goes for it if it's on the seven or eight. I agree with that. And and you got to remember, it was first and goal at the two? Yeah, before the bad snap. It was really – they got it. They got kind of hosed a little bit on the spot. Like, they, it was – it could have been inside the two is my point. It was kind of right at the goal line. But – like, you can also ask the question if you want to about the whole never under center, always out of the shotgun when you're inside the two yard or inside, inside they the They do five that yard. in the NFL too now. Though. I know. I, don't, I, I know. Don't I'm not that. second guessing him, but I probably would have tried to throw it and just see what happens. At that point, you weren't playing well. The game was getting away from you. Let's talk about the final drive of the game. And obviously, the drama that went along with the uh, the third down play was he in? Was he not in? The bigger issue. In whether or not he was in or not in, Pac-12 refs striking again. Hey, Dad would be giving us a big old batch of I told you so with regard to officials. All those things. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Monday afternoon, unpacking the weekend. All right, let's talk about the last drive of the game for Ole Miss. Trailing 28-20. to Debate whatever you want to about the field goal, but there are a couple of things that are in play. Ole Miss uses its final timeout of the game with 2.51 to play to force... I mean, Cal's about to punt it away on fourth down, and you either give up 25 seconds there and save a timeout, or you use your timeout and save the 25 seconds. I think you take the timeout there and you save the 25 seconds, because there are a lot of ways you can stop the clock on offense, especially in the college game. And if those 25 seconds are gone, there's nothing you can do to get them back. So Cal punts it. They down it at the 12 or 13? 10. They, the 10. I just know that because the dr- final drive was 89 yards, and okay. they needed 90, allegedly. Uh, allegedly. So they needed to go 90 yards in 2 minutes and 48 seconds. 251, whatever it was. So I went back and watched the entire final drive earlier today. On first down, first play of the drive, three-yard completion, and what happened on that completion? 
Receiver got out of bounds. The official signals, waves his hands above his head, stop the clock. Receiver gets out of bounds. And there should have been 2.48 on the clock, whatever the time was on the clock right there. I think it was 2.48. Can you explain to me why the clock started running 13 seconds before the, well, like 10 seconds before the ball was snapped? Did anybody notice that? Had no idea that happened until right now. I noticed it when I was standing next to you at that point on the sideline, like we had just walked down there. But from where we were standing, and you were further out towards the field than Chase and I were standing, so I couldn't. Like we were blocked a little bit by the sideline. I just assumed that they didn't rule him out of. They ruled him in bounds. Well, they initially ruled him out of bounds because if he had been tackled in bounds, you would have seen the official give the wind the windmill motion with his right arm to keep the clock moving. Yeah, I'm with you. So he waves his arms above his head. And then you get a brief TV shot where Matt Luke is running at an official on the sideline and he's screaming something and pointing to the clock, and they don't do anything. So, between the first play and the second play of the drive, where time is of the essence, 13 seconds vanishes. And I don't feel like anybody noticed it or anybody said anything about it. That's number one. They move the ball down the field. Hmm? I mean, you're right, but the it probably would have been noticed in in retrospect if they'd have run out of time, like just feebly at the 15 or 20 and gotten semi close. But I think people got so occupied with the dramatic ending. That, but the dramatic ending is not nearly as dramatic if there's 13 seconds left on the clock instead of you're running to the ball and there's four seconds and everybody scrambles and you get under center for the first time in the entire game and you run. Quarterback sneak behind an offensive line that's not gotten a push up front in four games. I'm with you, but which one's shinier and more fun to craft takes off of on the internet? Fair enough. I'm just saying. that That's another thing to point to in this. You go, why did the clock start? Where did those 13 seconds go? So you drive down the field, drive down the field. The big throw is the one to Demarcus Gregory. Uh, does just a little bit, uh, a little bit of a push off there. It's able to go up, get separation, comes down. Now Ole Miss has got it first and goal. So let's talk about the play sequence. First down, second down, third down, fourth down. First down with 50, what was it? A minute eight, 58 seconds, whatever it was. You've got a minute. You have ample, ample opportunity to run four plays with a minute left with goal to go. First down, running play. Well, uh, Phillips. Hand off to Scotty okay. Phillips on a read option run play. He goes down. There's not a lot of moving super duper fast. Second down. Plumley takes the snap. This one's the one that's interesting to me. And he's looking to throw. He's rolling to his right. There's nothing there, nothing there, nothing there. And instead of either throwing it away to the sideline or through the end zone, he tucks it and runs. Gets it down to the three. Clock's running. Go back to the ball. You still got time. You still got about 28 seconds left in the game. Throw the ball on third down. Then you get into the controversial play. Still shots from the west side looking at it, make it looks like make it look like you got in. You look at it from the opposite side, maybe what you would argue didn't get in. It's really, really difficult to tell. 
there is one thing that should happen on that play. The replay booth should buzz down. You're inside 10 seconds, inside 15 seconds, on what might or might not have been a scoring play to get the home team within two. What's the point in having a replay official if you don't buzz down to look at that play? Matt Luke tells me post game, well, they told me we were going too fast for them to review it. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard because you don't have a timeout. You kind of got to go fast. And if the replay re- official realizes they're about to run a play, then you buzz down and you stop it to look at it. Period. Period. And that's where the failure is in all of this. I mean, the, the debate of whether or not it's a touchdown, I don't think that matters as much as the fact that they didn't stop to look at it because that play happened so fast and the angles are so apparently hard to decipher that there's no way the official got that call right or wrong in that moment with that speed. You have to review the play in that moment. That is more egregious than whether it's a touchdown or not. Because even though it would have helped Ole Miss and it's just part of the game, the review would have allowed them to reset and maybe called something other than everybody standing around but the quarterback takes a snap and tries to get in and doesn't do it. The play should have been reviewed and even if it was inconclusive, I saw a rules official on the SEC network say that if it were him, he probably would have said it was inconclusive video evidence. Oh, I, I, I fully believe, Borky, that if they had gone to replay, that they would have said there's not enough evidence to overturn the call on the field. That is, that is what I believe to be the case. And that's fine. You still got to stop the. Pl- you still have to stop what's going on and sit but, there. But and here's look what, at I kind here. of get what happened though. I like it. It doesn't make it right, but they did. Like things started moving incredibly fast. But isn't a replay official's job that, to not that, be flustered the, by the, speed? That's the one person in the entire stadium that has the ability to press pause on things moving quickly. No, I feel you. I just I get why it happened. It doesn't make it any. Good. It doesn't make it better. But um. And here's the other piece of that. That works to Ole Miss's favor if they review it. Because now you got time to decide what you want to run on fourth down and get your guys set so that when they set the ball ready for play, you're not scrambling all over the place trying to get a snap off with less than four seconds. They snapped it with one second to go in the game and running a quarterback sneak. Isn't that part of the hesitancy, though? Stoppage play kind of screws Cal. I'm not. I'm it just, absolutely screws Cal if you stop it, especially if it turns out the right call was made on the on the field. But that's the point of replay. You make sure you got it right. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they it was botched. I think I've, I I've seen more egregious botches, but Ben says the ball never broke the goal line. The call was correct. I feel it would have been upheld. I agree with you that I think that they would have said the call stands, but you didn't review it. And there's no way you know in real time ball broke the point or didn't broke the point. Elijah Moore was in the end zone when he caught the football, and it's really close. My guess is if Elijah Moore could rerun that route, he would run it slightly different. Because he caught it coming out, I don't know that he had to come back to the ball to catch that. Question, where was there a pylon cam in that game? Surely there were better angles from ESPN. It was an ESPNU broadcast. They used fewer cameras for that. There was no pylon cam. Yes, you had that in Notre Dame, Georgia on Saturday night. You had a first down line cam 
for the SEC Network Saturday night game, you do not have pylon cam for a game of that magnitude. I don't know the exact terminology, but as far as like the goal line side view from what looks like where the pylon would be, they had it on the crowd sne- ain't on the Plumlee sneak. There was a guy that was running around with a camera on his shoulder. He was not in that position to shoot that on the third down play. He was there for the fourth down play. Sounds like we found a scapegoat. I'm just telling you. <laughs> that is weird, though, that it's available one play, not the other. doesn't help. To, as far as conspiracy theories go. That that camera person operates from about the 30-yard line down to the goal line and then will move. He'll, he'll go and shoot an extra point or field goal you know, underneath it. He'll go to the corner. He's got a director in his ear telling him what shot he wants. And so he's moving around. But there's not a stationary camera on the goal line. Interesting. That should change, shouldn't it? Not enough money, man. <laughs> Don on the coast asked that question. Why did they show the sideline view on fourth down but not third down? That's because the cameraman was not in position in that position on third down. He was probably at the 10-yard line or so working his way down. All it takes is the ball to touch the uh, part, the uh, breaking the plane of the goal line. Some of you are sending us images as well. I, I agree. I-, I-, I hear what you're saying. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. A couple of people have pointed out to me that the uh, reason the clock started back after the out-of-bounds play on that first play of the drive is because it was outside of two minutes to play in the ballgame. i got to go back and reread the rule book on that front. You, you may very well be right. and that's I was asking myself that question earlier, but I called a couple of people who I thought would have knowledge of the rules and their response or their reaction was the same as mine. And obviously that's what Matt Luke was thinking as well as he was trying to get the official to stop the clock and find out why it was running. So I'll go back and reread the rules on that. You guys believe that to be correct, that it's got to be inside two minutes in the college game now for the clock to stop when you go out of bounds? I've never, never heard that, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It rings a bell. I just want to see it in black and white to know for sure. I mean, I saw somebody, you know, giving a, a quip of a rule book, an online rule book for football that said if you catch the ball with two feet in the end zone, regardless of where the ball is, it counts as a touchdown. Well, that's not the case in college. Ball's got to make, break the plane of the end zone. Can't catch it in the end zone, fall out. What are you looking at me funny for, Rippy? Is that the case at any level? Yeah, I don't know. I just know that in the college game, you got to break the plane. Borky, you have put up a Twitter poll? Yeah, and, and most people are saying no, so I just did. Was Elijah, Elijah Moore's catch at the penultimate, pen I can't talk today, play of the Ole Miss-Cal game a touchdown, so was it a touchdown? 68% have said no, but just because you think or don't think it wasn't a touchdown, and I imagine the majority of those no votes came from Mississippi State fans anyway, <laughs> uh, does not mean that the play should not have been reviewed. And the Pac-12's explanation, I don't know if you saw that, I did. 36 hours after the fact, does not actually answer or, or address the situation at hand. No, they say they got it right. Oh, 
Which that's inconclusive. One again, I'll preface this by saying this is definitely not why Ole Miss lost. They lost because they let a subpar quarterback set four career highs. But this is the same officiating group that got accused of having an outside influence dictator review not too long ago. Do we were we all old enough to remember this? Yeah, that was this summer when that story came out, right? I think it was sometime during the last football season, but it yeah. doesn't matter. Last fall. <laughs> Take them at face value of, yeah, we got it right, don't worry. I don't know about that. Again, I don't think it would have been overturned on replay, though. Where does all this go from here? We talked last week about a loss to Cal makes things just incredibly difficult the the remainder of the week, of the year, and they had a Tuscaloosa on Saturday. So it's not like it's about to get any easier. So where do you go from here? As far as like this season or, or long-term or short-term, I mean, where they go from here is they go to Tuscaloosa and hopefully just play well, uh, look like they belong on the field and come back and, and beat Vanderbilt and get to three. And I mean, they had to win Saturday to see a clear path to getting to six wins. I think the path is now dark, almost black, but... If you're inside the program, you just have to put your head down and block out the noise and block out the thousands upon thousands of empty seats that you got on Saturday, and you'll get two Saturdays from now and just try to focus and play. Uh, But that may be increasingly difficult as this continues. My guess is that the Vanderbilt crowd is helped by a few thousand, whether that's 2,000 or 7,000, I don't know, by it being announced today that that is a 630 kickoff. They will have a better student crowd, far better. Just by default, yeah, with time. Um, Vanderbilt will not bring nearly as many fans as Cal brought, so maybe maybe there's a wash there in the additional students but the subtraction of visiting fans. It won't be good, though. and that's There'll be a ton of empty seats. Yeah, uh, just like there were Saturday. I mean, you'll hear the, the PA announcer echoing through your television just like you did on Saturday. It's... Uh, They've got to find a way to right the ship uh, because for a lot of reasons, including what's going on on the field, but people are kind of checking out. And you have to do something, anything, to try to keep the the few you've got left engaged. And you're not going to change much on Saturday in Tuscaloosa just because they're significantly better than you, but you've got to find a way to right the ship and bring people back. However you do that, it's usually just through winning games, but it feels like there's more to it than that. I don't know if... If they were sitting at three and one right now instead of two and two, I don't know that two weeks from now the crowd would be all that much better. There's more to it than just what's going on on the field, because it's been a lot worse at Ole Miss and people still showed up. Yeah, I mean Saturday offered a chance at a realistic signature win, which Matt Luke does not have since he's been the coach here, and I don't really know which. I mean, beating Vanderbilt's not going to bring anybody back. Beating New Mexico State. I mean, not. his signature win is the Egg Bowl win. Two years ago when he was the interim head coach. That was sure. the contract signature win. Yes. It's true. Winners and losers coming up to start the 4 o'clock hour. What we saw and liked and didn't like from the weekend, and then what you saw and didn't like. And then we'll turn the page to Starkville. Mississippi State gets an SEC win against Kentucky with Garrett Schrader at quarterback. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad's out today. 
supposed to rejoin us tomorrow. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, it's probably time, if you haven't already, to reach out to Mississippi Land Bank. They can help with production loans, refinancing existing loans, equipment for the farm, or uh, maybe you need to buy a new piece of property. They've been working with farmers, landowners, want-to-be landowners for over 100 years. You can find the branch locations online at their website. You can also grab the phone number to give them a call. Website again, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Just after 4 o'clock on a Monday, that means it is time for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. Got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner number one for me, and you can kind of go either or on how you want to assign this one. Kylan Hill. Boy, has he been good for Mississippi State this year. When you look at his numbers, he has been a workhorse in the offense. He is averaging well over 100 yards per game. And Kylan Hill is the most consistent thing going in that offense. For the year, 91 carries, 551 yards, averaging 6.1 yards per carry. He's got five touchdowns on the season. Kylan Hill also has uh, five catches for 49 yards, averaging almost 10 yards per catch. So the reason I said you could go either or on this is if you wanted to, you could assign the winner to Joe Moorhead for realizing what he's got in Kylan Hill and feeding that man the rock. He has gotten a lot of carries through uh, through four games so far this season. So he is first up on my winner's list. Orky, who you got? Extremely predictable, the Saints. They went to Seattle yesterday in the rain and won a game that nobody expected them to win. Teddy Bridgewater was good. Uh, He actually did not throw a pass through the air longer than 15 yards. So a very simplistic game plan from Peyton. They used the screen game a lot. And the weather didn't help that cause either, but uh, they didn't win the game on the back of Bridgewater, even though he didn't screw it up. Alvin Kamara yesterday Mm -hmm. was from a different planet. He had... Uh, 69 yards, a nice game on the ground. Uh, but in the past game, the screen game that I mentioned, almost 100 yards receiving as well on nine receptions. He was unbelievable. Defense was good. The three fourth-quarter garbage-time touchdowns that Seattle scored, it doesn't matter. That was a blowout yesterday in Seattle. And the Saints are still pretty good, even without Drew Brees. They'd like to have him, but they might be fine head above water without him. Rippy, give me a winner. Auburn, that path to seven and five got a lot easier. <laughs> Auburn's pretty impressive. Two best wins of anyone, like if you put them in pairs in college football, who has two better wins? Nobody. Interesting. I mean, is there anybody that's even close? I no. mean, quit quit being a smart aleck for a second and, and be serious. Is there anybody that's even close? Probably not. They share a best win with Clemson, and theirs was at home, so that doesn't count. Uh, LSU went to Texas. That was really impressive, but that's just one. Second winner on the list for me, Joe Burrow. He is completing 
percent of his passes. Through four games, Joe Burrow has only 24 incompletions. He's 100 of 124 for 1,520 yards, 17 touchdowns, and just two interceptions on the year. Those numbers are just silly. Joe Burrow, certainly a winner right now. Give me another winner, Borky. How about Wisconsin? I don't know how much of that game you got to watch just because of of where you were at that time, but Wisconsin absolutely lined up and just took it right at Michigan, and there was nothing they could do about it. Well, they have 368 on the ground. Is that right? 359. Close enough. Jonathan Taylor had 200 yards on 8.8 per carry. He was unbelievable. Michigan physically got lined up and just absolutely whooped on Saturday. Don't look now, but Wisconsin could be one of those playoff spoilers. It's a team that will, uh, by default, kind of be on the outside looking in, but they're going to go to the Big Ten Championship undefeated. Potentially. It could spoil the party for everybody. They're that good right now. Uh, Rippy, another winner. Daniel Jones. Ooh. Stifling internet pylons everywhere. Guy's pretty good. It's almost like taking a quarterback in the first round is a high-risk deal. And the early returns are positive. Yeah. If you like your guy, draft your guy. They could have had him later. I get that argument. But if he's your guy, he's your guy. Do the San Jose Spartans deserve to be in the winner's list, or does Arkansas just deserve to be on the loser's list? Combination of both. Or yes. San Jose State goes into Fayetteville and wins over Arkansas, thirty-one to twenty-four. I'm trying to think of that. I mean, he could almost be a permanent guy on this list. But Tua Tonga Bailoa, I mentioned Joe Burrow's numbers a second ago. Tua's stats are also off the charts. This past Saturday against Southern Miss, seventeen of twenty-one for two hundred ninety-three yards and five touchdowns, with once again no interceptions. He's just playing at a different... I mean, he and Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts are playing at a level that is different from uh, everybody else. Two on the year, completing 78%, 87 of 112, 17 touchdowns, and no picks. He's thrown for 1,300 yards in four games. Pretty good. Uh, Loser? Or are we jumping the gun? Go ahead. No, you're good. Michigan, Shea Patterson, Jim Harbaugh, and Instagram captions? Rough week. Rough week. What was the Instagram caption? His brother went after Michigan's offensive coordinator saying that Shea was going to be a stud in the NFL and that Gaddis doesn't know what he's doing, and that because Harbaugh was an average player at Michigan, he is now an average coach. So basically it is everyone's fault but my brother's. Uh, Not completely grammatically correct either, but... Hot take, Shea Patterson's... Decent effort. Just not very good. And they put in McCaffrey, and then he got hurt. So they had to put Patterson back in. Outdated offense. It was a weird marriage from the start, but yeah. I mean, he's been now in two different offenses, a spread one and they, whatever you call hardballs. They're trying for this to be a spread with Josh Gaddis. Sure. It's not working. Yeah, that whole Mike Loxley-Josh Gaddis offseason feud about who was actually calling plays. Look at Maryland's offense and look at Michigan's offense. You tell me who you think was calling plays in Tuscaloosa last year. Yeah. 
That's uh Um Tennessee on the losers list, not trying to pile on because I know things are not very good on Rocky Top, but completely non competitive. Florida wins thirty four to three over the Tennessee Vols. They've got a little bit of a quarterback controversy there. Bench Garantano at one point in the uh, in the ball game. It is a mess in Knoxville. Who you got for a loser, Borky? The state newspaper out of Columbia, South Carolina. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend. Um, they ran a headline that said, Holinsky Hope Sinks. That was the headline in the state newspaper in South Carolina this weekend. That was after Ryan Holinsky didn't have a very good game. Uh, he just, he, he had a intercept, like he threw the ball and a Missouri defensive lineman batted it back to him and he caught it and then just like dropped the football and they picked it up and scored. Just not a good day for the young quarterback. He'll learn, but he's promising. And the headline was, Holinsky Hope Sinks. And everybody was mad about that. And the reason why is Ryan Holinsky's brother, as, as you know by now, took his own life. And the family, after his brother took his own life, started a foundation. And the goal of the foundation is to help athletes uh, not be afraid to to get help if they have depression or, or mental health needs. That it's okay to, to go seek help and to eliminate the stigma on uh, depression and mental health issues. And the, the foundation is called Holinsky's Hope. So the state newspaper, mm. in reference to a football game, made a play on a suicide prevention foundation. And then they claimed it was unintentional. It has to have been unintentional. No way I can believe that somebody intentionally did that. Is it somewhere in between? Like it came to them, they didn't Like know it's exactly. a huge gaffe. But that can't have been intentionally taking a shot at their foundation. But my goodness, that's bad. You either did it on purpose and it's gross, or you didn't know that that existed and it's embarrassing ignorance. I just don't think anyone would be that spiteful. I, I choose to go with embarrassing ignorance on that. We'll get to your winners and losers from the weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi and the Renaissance Bank Studio. Text them to us, 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. How late did you guys make it on Saturday night with the uh, Pac-12 after dark? UCLA and Washington State. Watch the whole thing. You stuck to it till what, one? What time did it end? 1.30-ish? Yeah. I woke up at 1.38. I, I somewhere in the second half fell asleep. And it was over when I woke back up. Did you watch it, Borky? Uh, I watched uh, the beginning, and then it was a blowout, and then I went to bed. Nine touchdown passes for the quarterback for Washington State. And a loss. Nine. And a loss. <laughs> 67-64. Yikes. Too bad that game couldn't have gone to overtime. <laughs> Just one more field goal is all you needed. See, sometimes you should kick the field goal. Um, <laughs> sometimes you should. So let's get to your winners and losers as we continue to go through winners and losers what you thought from the weekend. We gave you some of ours. Let's go to some of yours. Winner, 
Ole Miss conspiracy theorists on Twitter. The touchdown, not a touchdown, is providing all the memes. Lucas in Union. Winners. Famous Maroon Band Twitter for the shade thrown to the UK specialist Twitter account. Did you mm. see that? I missed it. Uh, so somebody was upset that the, the Kentucky kickers were warming up at halftime while Mississippi State's band was still playing, and they uh, you know, tweeted the video and all that stuff, and the Kentucky specialist quoted it and said, the band doesn't matter, or something like that. Just know you don't matter. And then they fired back about their missing crucial field goals in the game, and it was one of those kind of things. Mm. But here's the thing, though. I don't mean to side with people who say something like that on Twitter, but it is a football game. 60,000 people aren't there to watch a band performance. The players need to warm up for a football game. If you're on their field and they have to get ready for a game, then they're going to disrupt your performance, and I'm sorry about that. Jeez, Porky. I mean, come on. It, it, look, I mean, it, when the band is that it's a 20-minute halftime. If the band takes 10 or 12 minutes, you still got eight minutes to warm up. I mean, I guess I get that Chance Poor might have needed to <laughs> use a little bit more time than most kickers to get loose for the second half. But. Which is just the worst name for not a good kicker. I mean... Uh, Lucas oof. also has the Sanderson Farms Championship for having the Country Club of Jackson in peak condition. It was really good. Golf course was in spectacular shape. Especially considering how brutal the weather's been in the two weeks leading up to it. Yep. 100 degrees, no rain for two weeks. I'm trying to figure out where I fall on this band thing. I mean, it's not like the football team's going to where the band practices and just run in Oklahoma. And it's they weren't in the middle of them either. They they were they had a clear path to kick. But hold on, how long were they on the field? If there's I don't know the seven extreme or eight details, minutes but... left, then do some stretching down in the end zone. And as soon as they're done, do your thing. I don't know. But I, re- I don't really care one way or the other. And I don't either. But I mean, nobody's the sixty thousand people and the big stadiums and the cameras and all of that stuff are not there for a band performance. Jeremy and Jackson says marching bands, carolers, come on, Borky. I like bands, but I like football better. And one of them makes money and one of them doesn't, so football kind of takes priority. Look. Notice he didn't clarify his caroler stance. He just said he likes bands. Uh, Charles and Meridian winners, Mississippi State, their one hundred eighty degree turn. Uh, uh, the 180-degree reaction to the heat advisory this past Saturday. Water was passed out when you walked in and concessions were open. Wait, that was from last week. <laughs> Sorry, that was when <laughs> Charles tweeted uh, texted us his winner last week. This uh, week he says Kentucky started kicking eight minutes before halftime was over. Yeah, okay. Well, eight minutes or so, that's probably about the time they should start. <laughs> I'm all for this feud, though. Uh, Russell, we also got this from Ben. The kicker from Delta State set a school record and a Gulf South Conference record most field goals made in a game. He was 5-for-5 in Delta State's win on Saturday, pig-picking weekend in Cleveland. They won it 30-28. to So that was a a really good weekend. Hold on a second. I've got his name here somewhere. He had half Tyler Crabtree. He had half the points in a 30-point game? That's right. 
Five for five. Makes from 24, 28, 31, 33, and hit the 38-yard game-winning field goal to put Delta State up 30 to 28 with a little less than two minutes to play. Sean and Grenada, loser. The UGA punt team could very well have cost them the game. Dan and Charleston, Southern Miss for failing to show up in Tuscaloosa. I think you're being a little tough on them, Dan. It's really a little harsh. I just, that's a different animal, man. If if Southern Miss got out of that game mostly healthy, then that's probably a win. Hate to put Luke Logan on my loser list. Had he not missed two previous field goals, the outcome could have been different on Saturday. Um, Louis says he is a winner because he won his fantasy football game this weekend, minus Drew Brees and Antonio Brown. Yeah, that's two guys that you thought were going to be helping you in the fantasy football world. Not so much. Keith and J.S. or J.S. Cowboys running game. Two 100-yard rushers. Kind of a putrid first half for the Cowboys, but got it going in the second half and really good on the ground. I feel so bad for Josh Rosen. I'd like to see him get a third shot somewhere else in like somewhat of a stru- like structured organization. Because you can't rule him out that he can't play, can you? He I don't think so. Given a chance. He got drafted in an inept organization with the worst offensive line in football last year and then gets traded to a team that is openly trying to lose. Lee says that if the uh, clock, uh, Matt Luke, loser, if he is unaware of college football's timing rules that have been in effect for 11 years now. Yeah, Luke sent me the story from, uh, I guess it was 2008 when the rules went into change. Inside two minutes, the clock restarts on the official signal for play, even if a player has gone out of bounds. I'm sorry, outside of two minutes. Once you're inside two minutes of the first half and the second half, the clock stops until the ball is snapped once again. Um, Here's kind of a hot take one, Derek King. The starting quarterback for Houston, at least according to the reports, is going to quit the team and enter the transfer portal to preserve his eligibility to go somewhere else next year. This isn't the same situation as Kelly Bryant, who lost his job. This is a starting quarterback, a veteran starting quarterback, literally quitting on his team four games into the season so he can go somewhere else. Doesn't this sound like, though, some high major program somewhere that's losing a quarterback next year saw how he's been playing and was like, hey, kid. You could do this here next year. Maybe isn't that one. coach's name Lincoln Riley? I mean, not name names like. here. Jeff says after Freddie Kitchens gets fired after one season, Jim Harbaugh could be the next head coach for the Cleveland Browns. How about the Browns hype train? Winner Dawson Knox, loser Ole Miss fans because he wasted uh, he was wasted by that joke Longo. That's from Preston in New Albany. That was. Knox's first touchdown since high school? That is correct. That's tough. Good enough to catch touchdown passes in the NFL, not good enough to catch touchdown passes as a tight end in the SEC. Yeah, but that offense can beat Apple. Wait, no. Can't do that Scott and Clinton, winners, the kids of Batson Children's Hospital. He puts golf tournament in parentheses. Expecting to make a donation of over a million and a half dollars this year to Batson from uh, Century Charities um, through the Sanderson Farms Championship. Pretty cool. Painting the chicken 
markers and stuff. Absolutely. I didn't actually know that was a thing. I chose how observant I am until someone pointed it out. I didn't know they were different colors. Um, Stan and Ripley, that'll wrap up winners and losers for the week. He says, not to change the subject, I've been listening in and out. Have you guys heard any updates about Jevin Sneed? No, uh, no updates. The official release, I guess, from the Austin Police Department has only been that uh, was found dead on Saturday night and that no foul play is expected at this point. They will continue their investigation, and I guess some news will be uh, released later. I, I said earlier, I don't. maybe I shouldn't have said this, I, I said apparently took his own life. Um, that's just kind of based on semi-reporting. Perhaps I shouldn't have said this, but... At 32 years old, really, really sad. Um, Kevin Sneed no longer with us. Former quarterback at uh, Texas and then transferred, played two years at Ole Miss, led Ole Miss to a couple of Cotton Bowl wins. And uh, all accounts, pretty good guy. Tough, uh, tough situation there. Let's dive into Mississippi State and Kentucky when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio on this Monday afternoon. Back with you on Sports Talk, streaming online at supertalk.fm. I'm not going to make a thing of this. I'm just going to tell you that the music for every break is preloaded before the show starts, and sometimes the content takes a turn, and any coincidental or unintentional relationship between the music and something that is said on the show is just that. It's coincidental. It is not intentional. That's all I'm going to say about that. Come on, man. Um, Good to be with you this afternoon. And by the way, I'm not savvy enough with pop culture and music lyrics to automatically, when the music starts playing, know that I should or shouldn't say something about a specific topic because of what a song might or might not have in it lyrically. So... If you want to be mad at Michael Borky, don't be be mad at me. Borky didn't do anything wrong. Let's move on. Let's talk about Mississippi State and Kentucky from Saturday. Mississippi State gets an SEC win over the Kentucky Wildcats to improve to 3 and 1 and start 1 and 0 in league play. We talked last week kind of collectively about Ole Miss and Mississippi State both having games that they really needed, and if they didn't win them, things kind of got dicey when you're looking at postseason. Well, things are not dicey anymore, at least for now, when you look at Mississippi State. They won a game that they were supposed to win at home, and they won it by 15. And did it without their starting quarterback, Tommy Stevens. Starting quarterback, Garrett Schrader, pretty darn good. His numbers, 17 of 22. That's after going 4 of 12 last week in uh, relief duty of Tommy Stevens. 17 of 22, 180 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. He was sacked twice in the ballgame. Had a big day on the ground. He was Mississippi State's leading carrier. 11 rushing attempts for a net 125 yards. Another big day for Kylan Hill. He averaged 4.6 yards per carry. 26 carries, 120 yards, found the end zone three times. 
The other touchdown for Mississippi State came on an interception return for touchdown by Willie Gay. Morky, you watched this game in real time. I went back and watched most of it last night. What was your takeaway from Mississippi State on Saturday? A complete difference in start between this week and last week was the difference in the football game. So they get that early pick six and scored quickly in that first half, which took Kentucky's only way they're going to beat you out of the game, which is running the football. And they were good at it against Mississippi State. I think I said this yesterday, probably better then than I'm about to now. Just because you win a game doesn't mean all of the problems were solved. But the way they started the game allowed those problems to not be used against them so much, which was run defense. Kentucky had success on the ground against Mississippi State, but they got to a point in the game because of the early pick six and great early success offensively for Mississippi State that Kentucky had to throw the football. And then during the course of that game, Sawyer Smith gets hurt. His shoulder is clearly banged up. He's shot putting the football down the field. And Kentucky had no shot in the game after that. So when you start well and don't make mistakes and actually capitalize on Kentucky's mistake early, you're in complete control of the game, whereas last week you were a little sloppy, you turned the football over, your quarterback wasn't 100%, you give up a return for a touchdown, and you lose the football game. None of those things happened, and you got off to a hot start, and that's why you won that game comfortably. Willie Gay played for the first time this season. He had a 52-yard interception return for touchdown in the first minute and a half of the game. When you have a limited number of games you're going to be able to play in the course of a season, you'd like to make the most of the games that you've got. He didn't get to hang around, though, for the entire game. Oh, my gosh. And I don't know how you feel on this. I think the taking your helmet off, Penalty is kind of soft. I mean, he scores on the pick six. He's walking off the field and takes his helmet off. And that's a personal foul penalty. I understand why the like conduct. Unsportsmanlike conduct. I understand why the rule is there, but for that to be fifty percent of the reason why a player gets kicked out of a game seems a little silly to me. But the other penalty is kind of funny. Joe Moore had said after the game that right before that happened, he told Willie Gay to be careful. And then he goes out there and and gets a personal foul, and it was nothing that he physically did. The Kentucky player actually flipped him the bird, believe it or not. You can go back and watch and see it. You, you have a nice little middle finger in the middle of your television. But Willie Gay didn't throw a punch or shove or anything, but he said something. And there are a few things, I imagine, on a football field that you cannot say, and he said one of those things and got kicked out of the football game. So that's his second unsportsmanlike conduct penalty of the ball game. You get two of those, and you have to go to the house. His presence, though, certainly felt with the early touchdown. That made it 7 to nothing for Mississippi State. Chance Poor hit a 40-yard field goal to make it 7-3. to 13-24 to go in the second quarter. Kylan Hill, a 12-yard touchdown run. Mississippi State up 14-3. to They scored on three consecutive possessions. Up next, 445 to go in the second quarter. Two-yard uh, two touchdown run by Kylan Hill made it 21-3. to uh, Kentucky, with five and a half minutes to go in the third quarter, would get a two-yard touchdown run from Cavassier Smoke. How that for a name? An 11-play, 80-yard drive. Made it 21-10. to Matt um, Ruffolo? Ruffolo? Ruffolo. I think that's what they said on the broadcast. Ruffolo made a 29-yard field goal. Why did they go away from Chance Moore? Because he missed one earlier in the game. Just generally, he's not good. So they went to somebody else just because. So that that made it a one-score game 
with just under five minutes to play. So it's 21-13 Mississippi State. Bulldogs get the ball back. A six-play, 75-yard drive that takes three minutes and is capped off by a touchdown, pushes it back out to a two-score game. Bulldogs lead it by 15 at that point, and they win by 15, 28-13. So we talked about some of the offensive numbers. Mississippi State is a team... 40 rushing attempts for 241 yards. As a team, they average six yards per carry. Uh, limited in the passing game. Like, didn't do it a whole lot. Uh, almost two to one rush attempts versus pass attempts. Schrader, 17 of 22 with the one touchdown, or the, uh, sorry, the one interception for 180 yards. Um, Penalties for Mississippi State. Where are they? There they are. Five penalties for 45 yards for Mississippi State. Five penalties for 40 yards for Kentucky. Bulldogs were plus seven minutes in time. Well, plus almost all, a little over six minutes in time of possession. It's just a solid win. And defense really tells the story, right? I mean, Kentucky goes one of 12 on third downs in the game. Mississippi State did give up three fourth-down conversions for Kentucky. But on the other side, Mississippi State was able to continue to move the football. They go 6 of 10 on third downs. They score on three of their four red zone opportunities, and all three of those were touchdowns. And Garrett Schrader played a pretty good football game. Asim Rose had 105 yards on the ground for Kentucky. Lynn Bowden had 37. Cavassier Smoke had 25. Borky mentioned a second ago Sawyer Smith was banged up, and it showed in his passing numbers. 15 of 41, no touchdowns through the early pick six, and threw for 232 yards in the game. So Kentucky falls to 2-2 two and two on the year. Probably should be 3-1, and one, but lost the game to Florida last week, and you don't get any points for probably. What's coming up for these two teams? Kentucky goes to South Carolina in what is a critical game for them. Kentucky really needs to get the next two. They need to win at South Carolina, they've got an open date, and then they host Arkansas. If they get those next two, they're in pretty good shape down the stretch because they still have Tennessee, they've still got Vanderbilt, they've still got UT Martin and Louisville. After the Arkansas game, though, they've got to go to Georgia and host Missouri. Given the remaining schedule and where they sit right now, I don't think it's crazy at all to think Kentucky wins seven. And if they're able to beat South Carolina, they could very well win eight this year. Things get difficult this coming Saturday for Mississippi State. And they begin kind of a swing stretch. Bulldogs are three and one headed to Auburn. That is a really good Auburn defense. Auburn's offense doesn't scare you right now, but their defense playing at a really high level. Yeah, it doesn't set up particularly well for Mississippi State either. Depending on Tommy Stevens' health, you're about to, even though Stevens doesn't have any starting experience either, you may potentially have to roll a true freshman out there to pack Jordan Hare. And I think Auburn sets up really well, or doesn't set up really well for Mississippi State. As you mentioned, they play really, really good defense, especially up front, and they are going to try to run the football a lot. And Mississippi State has struggled stopping the run, and that's what Auburn's best at. 
and they are exceptional, especially on the defensive line. So not a great matchup for Mississippi State, at least looking at it uh, from 30,000 feet early. After the trip to the Plains, Mississippi State gets an open date before going to Knoxville. They should win against Tennessee. Then they host LSU. Got to go back-to-back road games at A&M and Arkansas. So Mississippi State sitting at three. Tennessee should be a fourth. Arkansas certainly should be a fifth. A&M? Mississippi State's had Texas A&M's number. That could be six. They got Abilene Christian, Ole Miss at the end of the year. It's going to turn into a pretty good season for Mississippi State. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey. People were really down on Joe Moorhead a week ago after the Kansas State loss. Has the Kentucky win done anything to change how you feel? I mean, like, there were people abandoning ship left and right if you look in the social media sphere and the message board sphere I'm done, enough, let's move on time to cut bait I mean he's 13, 14, 15, 17 games in and is what won 11 of the 17 games I know last year underachieved defense blah 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 blah, I get that but isn't that precisely the point? These are the games that state fans have become expected, like accustomed to expecting to win. Like, what, I don't the think Kansas State game. No, 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 no. Uh, Kentucky. You're asking if that does anything. Like, it's probably just kind of business as usual. I would imagine. I mean, that would have been a really bad loss if they had lost and they took care of business and probably get a little extra props for winning it with the backup quarterback. Yeah, I would think so. But but again, going back to Mississippi State schedule. Okay, so they're sitting at three and one headed to Auburn. Auburn's a favorite in that game. Let's give Auburn the win. Three and two through five weeks, then an open day. Auburn trucking along. Winning at Tennessee, they get you to four and two. Probably lose to LSU, four and three. A&M? Toss-up game? That would be a really important game for State, I think. Just for the purposes of this conversation, let's call this a loss and call it four and four. Win against Arkansas, that's five. Lost to Alabama, that's five and five. Right? Or did I, I? Four and four, five and four, five and five. Abilene Christian is a win. That gets you six. You win the Egg Bowl, that's seven. And if you, be, if you flip the A&M game, that's eight. And that's a pretty good year considering what you lose on the defensive side, isn't it? You lose three first-round NFL draft picks on the defensive side of the ball and follow it up with an eight-win season? That's a pretty good coaching job. I understand the frustration that will exist in pockets along the way, but I kind of feel like that exists all over the place. Yeah, it does. And if you remember, uh, going back into last season... Um, 
it was sold as if he was better than Mullen, and they're they're going to upgrade and all of that stuff. So I think that's part of it is because they didn't go from perpetual bold team, competitive, beating teams they're supposed to, but never really beating Alabama, record against LSU not very good, and because it stayed that way, it is creating more, not negativity, but whatever you saw after the loss last week, then it should, because going into it, he was the greatest thing since sliced bread, better than Mullen, and he kind of brought it on himself with the whole clear your trophy case for a Heisman, what's your ring size stuff, but he was sold as the greatest hire in the history of college athletics going into it as well. Uh, that may be a little strong. but It's hyperbolic, I, of course, but he yeah. was sold as this guy's going to be better than Mullen. You just wait. Yeah, no, I meant more so that line of selling more so than what you were talking, like the way you said it. I just, like, because how many times, because Mullen's the best coach in state history, is that, yes. is that a given? How many yeah. times in any program's history is the guy after the greatest coach in history an upgrade? I'm not saying Moorhead won't be and won't be a fine coach, but like to expect that right out of the gate, even with what they had coming back, is a little unrealistic, isn't it? Because he could still turn out to be fine. And there's a path to eight in year two after losing all of that. A realistic path. That's that's good. There is absolutely a path to eight. We get a text message. Um, says Ole Miss four wins, Mississippi State six wins, maybe. Okay. I agree a little bit with the former. I don't know about the latter. Big game coming up. Uh, yes, big game coming up Saturday for Mississippi State. But, and I certainly would say this was the case if Mississippi State was 4-0 and and had not lost to Kansas State. But even at 3-1, and Bulldogs kind of have a free shot at Auburn on Saturday, don't they? That's how it should be viewed. Mississippi State's got a good defense. It's not a great defense. Isn't this a big optics game? Don't go over there and get smashed. Give yourself a chance to win it late. I, I think so. The Tommy Stevens question is an interesting one. So on Monday of last week, Joe Moorhead says that Tommy Stevens feels better today than he did a week ago today. But then he started the game against Kansas State and was not effective, but was feeling better this past week and then did not play in an SEC game against Kentucky. I don't think we're getting all the story. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see if he plays this week against Auburn. Sports Talk Mississippi College Football Fix is next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on a Monday. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. If you're thinking about building a dream house in the country, you've already got the property picked out, or maybe you've picked out the property and now you're ready to buy that and build a dream house or build a cabin or maybe put a shop on it, now, Mississippi Land Bank can do that. They uh, they specialize in loans that are uh, slightly unconventional, land loans, dream house in the country loans. Find a branch location near you, scattered all over North Mississippi at Mississippi Land Bank. They know the lay of the land. 
Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Ford currently has the leather and liner incentive going. In addition to saving money already on 2019 year-end model trucks, you can uh, get a bed liner, either plastic or the spray-in, whichever you prefer, so drop-in or spray-in, and a leather upgrade on the interior, complimentary. It's just a little bit of an add-on as a way to say thank you. You can be off and down the road in one of the best-selling trucks in America for 42 straight years. Let's bounce around the rest of the SEC. We've talked about Ole Miss's loss to Cal. We've talked about Mississippi State's win to Kentucky. The opponent coming up for Ole Miss is Alabama. they got a Mississippi uh, team in Bryant-Denny this past Saturday and beat Southern Miss 49-7. to uh, Alabama was a 38, 38.5-point favorite going in. They win by 42 Jack Abraham's number's not bad. 17 of 26, 174 yards, had a touchdown and an interception in the ballgame. Very little rushing offense to speak of for Southern Miss. 32 carries, and when you include sack yardage, 52 yards on the ground. An average of 1.6 yards per carry. DeMichael Harris did have a 21-yard run in the ballgame, but that was it. Uh, Najee Harris had a 100-yard game for Alabama on the ground, 14 carries for 110. They got a rushing touchdown out of Brian Robinson, Jr., rushing touchdown out of Jerome Ford. The rest of it was Tua through the air. Tua Tonga-Valoa, 17 of 21, 293 yards, and five touchdown passes in the game. Two TD catches for Henry Ruggs. He had four catches for 148 yards. Jerry Judy, two touchdown catches. He had six for 96. Jalen Waddell, three for 43. Devontae Smith, two for 26. And then some other guys caught a ball as well for Alabama. Is it weird at all, guys, looking at what Alabama's offense has become and what LSU's offense has become, and it feels like offensively they look like Big 12 teams? Is that strange for you guys at all? It's a little different. Alabama, yeah, I mean, it, with Alabama, it feels like it's been a, a, a bit of a, a a bit of an evolution that has happened over the course of what three or four years. Here's a Alabama, hot take question on that front: Do you think it's because of Clemson? And throw Ohio State in the mix too. Back in 2014. No, I think it's because of the quarterback they've got. Okay. They just haven't had a guy uh, like him until now. Greg McElroy won a bunch of games, but he didn't have the arm talent or the ability of Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Same thing for Tyler Watts and John Parker Wilson and A.J. McCarron. All the quarterbacks that have come through Alabama have been really good quarterbacks in a pro-style system. They threw it some, threw it effectively. But Alabama's offense has changed because they've got a quarterback that can absolutely spin it. But didn't they kind of? I mean, you mentioned pro style offense, and, but didn't and, they and the receivers. Cool? Well, that too. Yeah, but they've always had good receivers. 
Yeah, but not this many good ones at the same time. Also true. But they've recruited that kind of quarterback. I mean, during all of those eras, you had dynamic, dual-threat, athletic quarterbacks that went elsewhere that Alabama could have gotten, but they wanted the pro-style quarterback. Well, the evolution for Alabama offensively has been, oh, no, we hate the RPO. It's unfair for college football. It's unsafe. Oh, let's run it. Yeah, that's my question. Wow, we're what pretty ca- good at this. What caused and now we to do got that? receivers. Do what? That's my question is why why the transition? Because you were winning titles and winning games and you could have done it a hundred different ways, but they chose to do it their way. Why suddenly did they flip and recruit a certain type of quarterback? They got another commitment from a a kid in California that can do it all. Yeah. So what? what well, and two, Tony Aloha's younger brothers on the roster as well. I, I think Nick Saban, yeah, to his credit, Nick Saban is not beyond evolving as a head coach. When he's got all the best players, if he wants to run a pro style offense, and he was ahead of everybody else in college football, he did it. But I think he's seen the rest of college football changing and evolving, and so they decided to evolve as well. They've gotten more creative offensively. I mean, think about the run of offensive coordinators they've had. And they're good play callers. But, I mean, ultimately, they've still got good running backs. Maybe not as good as they've had in years gone by. But the strength of Alabama's team is at quarterback and at wide receiver. So you might as well get those guys the ball. I mean, you can't line Jerry Judy and Devontae Ruggs and Jalen Waddell up in the backfield and hand it to them when Mark Ingram or Trent Richardson was there, maybe the best player on offense. Get them the ball. Who's the best player on offense now? Judy, Ruggs, Tua. Get the ball in their hands. I credit Nick Saban on that front. They've always had pretty good receivers, though, even when they haven't had a great quarterback. The quarterback, doesn't uh, again, I, back to the quarterback. Yeah, oh, I don't disagree with that at all, but again, I think it's just a volume thing. The volume of good receivers they've got is better now. I think. See, I, I don't. I'm kind of with Robert and Tupelo. I wonder if if Clemson had anything at all to do with it. Maybe subconsciously, but they come up with that kind of a quarterback, the dynamic dual threat athlete. They ran that kind of a system and spread the ball out. Then they kicked Alabama's. You know what? And suddenly Nick Saban can't do it his way anymore and just have the best athletes and line up and run the football. And then. Why wouldn't they have done. Uh, sorry, uh, to add on to what your explanation, why wouldn't they do that when Hugh Freeze beat him twice? Why wouldn't that have started? Because it? Ole Miss wasn't a real threat to Alabama. In the two years that Ole Miss beat Alabama, they won a championship and went to another. They, they kind of knew that that was. As good as those wins were, and as good as Hugh Freeze was in that time, Ole Miss wasn't a threat to Alabama. Not really. Outside of that one game on that one Saturday. I guess so. I just couldn't it be easier trace to then though when the quarter the recruiting style like recruiting different quarterbacks changed, or is it just coincidence they got Tua? Because I mean that's really the last time. Like who was the quarterback and for Alabama in sixteen? Jake Coker. 16 when they came in Oxford and overcame the 24 mm. lead in one? I can't remember. But it seems like after that you got into the Jalen Hurts to it type of thing. 
Oh, that was um, that was the running back turned quarterback. Twenty sixteen was Hurts. Yeah, it was Jalen Hurts. Okay, that's right. As a freshman, it was Blake Sims in fourteen. Yeah, and then Coker in fifteen. But didn't didn't Nick Saban kind of overthink himself and technically start Cooper Bateman in fifteen? Yes, he did. And Denzel Kimdichie ended that experiment pretty quickly. It may be a blend of yeah. It may be a blend of both, though. I guess is my point. Ole Miss started doing it. And it's kind of like, okay, maybe we'll start recruiting differently, a quarterback a little bit. Then Clemson, of course, as Taborki's point, is a much more real threat. And maybe it just continued. I don't know. I tweeted about 10 o'clock on Saturday night that I was a whole lot more impressed with Notre Dame than I was three hours prior. I almost put them on the winner's list. Not a moral victory guy, but they played admirably. 23-17, Georgia beats Notre Dame. It's probably not that close if Kirby goes for it on fourth down. Instead of kicking the field goal to make it twenty-three to ten at the time, I think I've softened my stance on Notre Dame. I think lumping in twenty twelve is a little unfair because the way they've recruited the last six, seven, or I'd say three, four years, like Clemson killed everyone last year. That's true. And don't look like now; to... their schedule is conducive of running the table and being eleven and one. Does that get them in though? Well, they're going to have a close loss to Georgia. To point two. We got Southern Cal coming to South Bend. They'll play Stanford. That Southern Cal game is, I think, going to look better than it looked like it might would have. They got a trip to the big house to uh, to face Michigan. I thought Notre Dame was physical. Really physical on defense. Ian Book's a stud. Brian Kelly's a really good coach. Sports Talk Mississippi, that's your college football fix driven by Ford. Semi-big news on the uh, basketball front, or maybe it's really big news on the basketball front. We'll just see where it goes. Kansas has received its notice of allegations from the NCAA, including potentially devastating allegations toward the men's basketball program, according to multiple sources. That story from Yahoo Sports, Pete uh, Thamel, Pat Forty, and Dan Wetzel. Lack of institutional control, three level one violations and men's hoops, and a head coach responsibility charge against Bill Self. Level two violations against football, including charges of allowing an extra coach to work during practice under former head coach David Beatty. I mean, that's the stuff that really matters. I was about to ask, do you think Bill Self goes with most of these violations pertain to the football program? Level 1 violations are tied in part to the recruitments of Billy Preston and Silvio de Sousa. Um, court testimony and documents from the basketball corruption cases included details of veteran Adidas consultant T.J. Gasnola having conspired to illicitly funnel approximately $90,000 to the mother of Preston. Gasnola also testified in court that he paid de Sousa's guardian $2,500. Charge against self will potentially prove a compelling and high-profile application of the NCAA's head coach responsibility bylaws. How about this? Evidence tied to the case included Gasnola, excuse me, Gasnola and self talking openly in text messages about Adidas helping Kansas recruit players. Here's what self wrote. I'm happy with Adidas. Just got to get a couple of real guys. Later, Gasnola texted about keeping self and Kansas happy with lottery picks. Self responded, that's how it works at UNC and Duke. Is that like a threat to leave Adidas for Nike? It's almost like he's talking like they're doing the like a lot of the work for him. It's like 
we'll wear your stuff if you get me kids. You get me guys. We'll keep wearing three stripes. Don't you have assistance for that? Three stripe nation, baby. Probably should have flipped to Nike. None of them got in trouble. Yeah, at least not yet. Uh, so we'll see where that goes with Kansas. That's a pretty Jeff big Long. fish to, to catch, though, if you're the NCAA. Absolutely it is. <laughs> I mean, it's not as big as Duke. It's on par with North Carolina. Well, I'd put all those on the same tier. And the FBI did the uh Yeah, don't you think it'd be a bigger deal, though, if Duke got... If Krzyzewski got handed down coach responsibility, etc.? I mean, but isn't most of that stemming from what a raging hypocrite he is? Like, that's, to me, like, the reason it would be bigger, not because of the stature of the program. But maybe I just kind of see it a little differently. Well, that and people pretend like he's Mr. Clean, moral high ground, whatever coach that everybody should strive to be, and he's just like everybody else, at least with the way he acquires players. That's, I'm with you. It would be sweeter to me if they got Duke than when they get LSU. Because Will Wade, I don't think he acted like, or anybody acted like he was above anybody else. But we pretend that Coach K is a bastion of basketball integrity. And that's not how that works. University of Houston football Twitter earlier this afternoon tweeted a graphic of wide receiver Keith Corbin with this quote, having the opportunity to take time and focus on the completion of my degree Plus, having the chance to develop as a student-athlete is why I have decided to redshirt for the remainder of the 2019 season. Coach Holgerson, myself, and family both took time to make this decision. Being a Cougar has been one of the best decisions I've made. I'm ready to take this time to help our program develop for the future. They also tweeted a graphic, quarterback to Eric King, with this quote. Came here to play football for the University of Houston, and that is not changing. After carefully thinking through this process with my family and Coach Holgerson, I've decided the opportunity to redshirt this season gives me the best chance to develop as a player, earn my degree, and set me up for the best success in the future. I'm looking forward to being a part of the success of this program going forward. The University of Houston is spinning the Eric King and Keith Corbin redshirting after four games as a chance to focus on getting my degree and getting ready for next season at Houston. I got two thoughts on this that's kind of outside the box. One, That's these, not a cliche. You love cliches. Outside the box. Go got ahead. anything else? No, go ahead. It, <laughs> what, Carry on. What, uh, okay. One... Do you start to see this now if the team stinks where guys are just like, oh, I hit that four-game threshold, I'm going to cash in for another year? Does this start to become a growing thing? I'm not saying it's a widespread thing like the sitting out bowl games and all that stuff that people love to get up in arms about, but do you see more and more guys doing this to where impact players reach the three-game threshold, they look around and say, well, these guys suck, we're not going anywhere, I want to try another year, and two... Is it possible that after he explored a transfer, Dana in any way was like, hey, I know we're bad this year. We'll be better next year. I'll redshirt you and play one more year here. Until through back channels, Oklahoma calls and Jalen Hurts puts up a billion yards and goes to the Heisman ceremony and they need a quarterback. 
the first thing I said seems more realistic than the second, but just throwing it out there. You think it's more likely he is the quarterback for Houston next year instead of anywhere else? No, no, that's what I was saying. The first thing I said about is this maybe a growing thing amongst guys to where they're like, hey, I like I, the first point I was raising about impact players saying I reached the four game threshold, we stink. I'm going to use another year is not necessarily meaning they'll play the next year there. They'll explore yeah. options. And I know you've got to do what's best for you. I understand that. You guys remember when football was a team game, though? Yeah, this seems take care of you, whatever. This seems really selfish. And people will argue that the the kids having more power is good and all of that stuff, but he is literally quitting on his team this season. The rest of the guys are going to play eight more games. And he is their best player. And he's just deciding, no, no, I'm not going to play. He can talk about focusing on your degree or whatever. Everybody else is focusing on their degree while also playing it. It's very old man of me, I guess, but it's selfish, man. He's quitting on his football team four games into the season as their best player. I agree. I think this is a bad look, but as a casual viewer that somehow watched three Houston games because one was on a Thursday night, one was against Oklahoma on that weird Sunday night, part of me kind of felt bad for the guy. I was like, man, this guy's pretty good and this team stinks. Well, Lincoln Riley gushed about Eric King after the Houston Oklahoma game. You call it gushing, I call it recruiting. <laughs> Fair enough. What about some of the other football results for the weekend? Tennessee loses 34 to 3 at Florida. Do we know anything about Florida yet? I don't think so, really. Nah, not yet. They're okay. Felipe like- Frank's surgery is today or tomorrow. Kyle Trask playing the QB spot. With two healthy ankles. Yes. Cash Daniel didn't twist anybody's ankle off on Saturday that I'm aware of. I was about to ask that. I didn't watch any of that game. Did that was that a thing, Borky what was at all? The deal, Borky? They they did Kentucky just bench him for the beginning of the game as like punishment? Yeah, that's what they said. They didn't specify any length of time and is like I didn't even write his name down once in my notes. I just Completely ineffective in that game. Joe Burrow. We were talking about Alabama's offense and how different it looks. If Alabama's offense has been an evolution over the course of two, three, four years, Georgia, or excuse me, LSU's offense has been a the 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 flip of a switch. And to his credit. Ed Ogeron has not meddled with the offense, at least outside looking in, one time. You know why I think that is? I think he absolutely 100% trusts Steve Insminger. And Insminger and Brady are working really, really well together. It was fascinating to me after the first couple of games because people kept talking, Joe Brady, Joe Brady, Joe Brady. And Ed Ogeron would... Every single time go to Insminger's our offensive coordinator. Insminger's the guy that's calling 90% of the plays. Those guys are working together. And I think it's a relationship that's working well. So, so you think about it. Um, so Ed comes in in an interim role and inherits an offensive coordinator. What he made, didn't he eventually? 
whatever they had for the end of the year. And then he hires Matt Canada, and that's a disaster, and that's when he hands it off to Ensminger. And that was his guy who knew the way Ed wanted to call offense. And now they've added Joe Brady, and they realize Burrow can really sling it, and they've got really good receivers. And that offense right now is scary good. It's kind of what LSU people have always been afraid LSU might do if they got the right quarterback and the right coach calling plays. I think they got the right quarterback and the right coach calling plays. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Check it out next time you are at the Golden Moon Casino. Ton of TVs. Good food, good drinks, and you can play games while you're there. Well, Monday night football coming up. Washington Redskins and the Chicago Bears. Redskins are a home favorite. No, no, no. They're getting points at home. So the Bears are a five and a half point favorite on the road. Rippy, you want to do this again this week? You did it last Monday. Redskins. Good buildup. Way to break down. Great analysis. I just gave you your pick. Redskins, plus five and a half. Rippy giving you the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. You like that one, Borky? Yeah, I actually do uh, like that one. Mitch Trubisky's not been good early. Washington's had a tough early schedule. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Mitchell. There you go. More, okay. more profound. Still. That's your Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Thanks for all the analysis, Rippy. You got it. Um, what else from the weekend? Missouri wins. Missouri's just kind of quietly just rolling along. Three big wins in a row. They lose the game to Wyoming in week one. Everybody kind of wrote them off, or a lot of people kind of wrote them off after some preseason hype and some buildup. That's three pretty convincing wins in a row. And the schedule that we talked about going into the year and the reason that we hyped them up a little bit hasn't changed. So they've got an open date, and then Troy, and then Ole Miss, and then Vandy, and then Kentucky. So yeah, they lost to Wyoming, but Missouri and their and its fans have got to be looking at the schedule, going, "Well, we're not going to be eight and zero going into Georgia, but we're going to be seven and one." Missouri's going to win eight or nine, or maybe ten games this year. It's a really good season, and unless something has changed, they're still not eligible for a bowl game. Um, Auburn's win at Texas A&M. How impressive was it? You want to know what's weird? It was impressive and also not impressive at the same time. It was impressive because they played pretty good defense. They went on the road and beat to what most people think is a better Texas A&M team in front of a hostile environment, but also 
they're kind of winning games in spite of Bo Nix, and that might end up costing them. He's a really good athlete. He can still run. They just don't ask him to do a whole lot and because he's really limited in the pass game. So, yeah, it's impressive to go to College Station and win, but it's not like, even though I think they're better, and I did going into the season as well, one of the few times I actually got something right this offseason, um, but they're winning games right now kind of in spite of him instead of because of him, and that'll catch up to them when they play LSU and Alabama and Georgia later on in the year. What if we change the word? What if what if in spite of him was not right, but I, I think the idea is kind of the same thing, but basically he's not doing anything to cost them games right, right now. Yeah, yeah, he, he's not winning games, but he's not losing them either. It's almost like when you say they're winning in spite of him, like you're looking at it yeah. and going, you know, he's doing a lot that is causing them to lose games and they're winning regardless. And that's just not the case. It's just he's not doing anything to cause them not to win games right now. Right. That, and I can't even think of a word for that either. But he's not losing games, not making mistakes, but he's limited and that will show against the better opponents. How different was that from Jake Fromm when he was a freshman? Not a lot, although Jake Fromm, as the season went along, had some big moments where he really stepped up and played well. We're only four games in. That's true, and uh, I guess it could be the uh, that could be the case when it's uh, it's all said and done. You're you're buying Bo Nix. I know you're buying Auburn. I don't know. I just think everything else is good enough around him for him them to be better than seven and five, and to give Georgia or Alabama a run for their money late in the year. Like they could potentially. It is not inconceivable that they really kind of throw a wrench in things with winning a game at home they're not supposed to win by the end of the year. I would almost say that I would absolutely see them giving Georgia more of a run for their money than Alabama because Georgia's dealing with some injuries. Maybe they'll get healthy as it goes along. To me, that Alabama offense is just scary good right now. But Auburn's strength clearly is their defense so far this season. A couple of national games... Miami of Ohio led Ohio State two to nothing. Early safety. Then they got a field goal, and it was five to nothing. And then they didn't score again. And Ohio State won seventy-six to five. Is that's with forty-two second quarter points. Jeez. You had Ohio State at Nebraska coming up. That's uh, that's this Saturday night. Remember when we talked about how big a game that was going to be? <laughs> Far less interesting now. Little less interesting Saturday night in Lincoln. I think the scene will still be pretty good. That got game day this weekend. That tells you all you need to know about the slate of games we've got coming up. What? Nebraska who? Ohio State. Ohio State at Nebraska. Nebraska stinks. And, and Ole Miss, Alabama got the 230, so the slate is brutal. It's a good weekend to get your honeydew list done. We talked earlier about Wisconsin just smoking Michigan. Texas beats Oklahoma State. And I was listening to somebody a podcast last night or this morning, I'm not sure exactly when, but said, in years gone by, that's a game that Texas would have figured out a way to lose. 
36-30. They win it. They gave up a late touchdown. I think they were up 36-23. Texas would have figured out a way to fumble that one away, especially against Oklahoma State, and they just didn't do that. Texas pretty good football team. UCF loses 35-34 to Pittsburgh after spotting Pitt 21 early. So, no fake national championships for UCF this year, right? Yeah, losing to Pittsburgh ends that really quickly. Pittsburgh's not very good either. Game of the day in college football on Saturday. Rolled into Sunday morning in the central time zone. Yes, no. You, you, you don't you don't want to go this route as game of the day? The game between UCLA and Washington State. UCLA came in 0-3. Washington State came in 3-0, ranked 19th in the country. Gardner Minshew in the house. Anthony Gordon goes 41 of 61 for 570 yards and nine touchdowns. He threw two first-half interceptions. That was the quarterback for Washington State. For UCLA, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 25 of 38, 507 yards, five touchdowns. He was picked off only once in the game. And UCLA outscores Washington State by 15 in the fourth quarter. And they outscore them 50-28 to in the second half. To win 67-63. The 180 UCLA's quarterback did from like the six-minute mark in the third quarter on is one of the more insane things I've ever seen. He had been terrible through three games and then just literally could not miss. I mean, was dropping dimes. It, it was insane. I've never seen anything like that, really. Crazy game. They dropped some stat that 80... It was no less than 82, and I want to say they said the exact number was 86, of the 110 players on UCLA's roster or first- or second-year players. That's say a, that again? Yeah. They said 80... I want to say the number they said was 86, but I'm pretty sure... It was definitely in the 80s of the 110 players they have on their roster or first- or second-year players. UCLA overcame a 32-point second-half deficit. Chip Kelly, after the game, said, I always thought we were a good football team if we could be consistent. When you're battle-tested like our guys are, I think that showed up today. They give up 570 yards and nine touchdown passes. By the way, Gardner Minshew held the previous record in the game with seven. But Gordon threw nine. You don't expect to lose a game when your quarterback throws nine touchdown passes. That is exactly what Washington State did on Saturday night.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.